So here's something to think about. Imagine if simply believing something was enough to make a difference. Imagine how, how different our lives would be. Like we all believe the science between, behind weightlifting, you know, working out. What if, what if just believing were enough and I just believed really hard and I stood up here and you're like, is that Al? No, that's Rob. He's like, you know, like pumped. Obviously, that's not enough. But imagine if it were. What if, what if believing were enough to make a difference? Like our lives would be different. There'd be no addictions because we all believe, you know, that'll ruin your life. It'll ruin your relationships, ruin your health. Financially, we'd be in so much better shape because we all believe the right things. We, we believe, you know, we, we know we need to stay out of debt. We need to, you know, spend less than we make, save, prepare for the future. We believe all of that. What if believing were enough to make a difference? How different our lives would be. Or when it comes to school, you know, we know that, that uh, preparation is the way forward for a student. So what if you simply believed that preparation was the way forward, but you didn't have to actually prepare be nice, right? Like, if all it took was believing the right things, our lives would be so much better. It'd be amazing what we'd be able to accomplish. The truth is, most of, and most of us already know this, that uh, believing the right stuff, you know, knowing the right stuff, we, we know what we need to know, we believe what we need to believe to live better and more productive lives. For most of us, the problem is not a lack of information. You know, we, we know we need to be honest. We know we need to forgive. We know we need to be compassionate. We need to be generous. For the most part, we know what we need to know, and we believe everything we need to believe. But as you all know, believing and knowing doesn't really make any difference. Otherwise, our lives would be very different. Our relationships would be better. Our, our financial health would be better. Our, our health would be better. We'd be better like pretty much in every area. And believe it or not, Jesus knew this. Jesus actually knew this, and he actually taught in such a way as to underscore the fact that he knew that simply believing is not enough. So consequently, he didn't spend a lot of time like trying to convince people to believe the things that he said. Instead, he actually invited them to do things, to do things, because he, kn he knows what we know, that doing is what makes all the difference. And so Jesus would invite people uh, to do what he taught, and he invites us to do that as well, because it's doing or not doing that makes the difference. And, and when it comes to our faith, man, if we believe all the right things, but we don't do anything with what we believe, our faith becomes feeble and fragile and frail. Today we're in part two of our series, and we discovered uh, last week that Jesus' agenda for his followers is that we would be people of, of big faith. We, we, would, we would live in such a way that uh, our confidence in God would be translated into action and activity that our, our trust and our faith in God would inform and impact our, our responses to the people and the circumstances around us. In fact, we saw last time that the only time Jesus was ever amazed by something, and the only time he ever marveled at somebody was when he encountered a guy who had really, really big faith, big confidence in him, and that person acted on that faith. And that explains why Jesus' invitation to us isn't simply to believe a lot of things. His actual invitation was to follow me follow me. It was relational. It was active. And it was interactive. And Jesus never altered or backed down from that invitation. It was follow me right up to the very end. Right as he's about to go into Jerusalem for the big finale of his crucifixion, he'd still invite people like, hey, just lay down what you have and follow me. I want you to follow me. But over time, something pretty horrible happened. The, the church kind of dumbed this idea down. In fact, if you grew up in church, it's possible you never even heard the phrase, follow me. What you heard a lot was, believe in me. Believe me. 
And so the church reduced follow me to simply believe in me. And as you would imagine, in fact, as you probably experienced, believe in me is a lot easier than follow me, isn't it? Believe in me is a lot safer than follow me. Believe in me is far less demanding than follow me. But unfortunately, like just believe in me is an invitation that leaves you exactly where you are. No change required. And Jesus did not merely invite people to believe true things in him so they could go to heaven when they die. Just read the Gospels. Like, that's not the case at all. Jesus invited people to live a life that actually reflected their confidence and their faith or their trust in God. So Jesus didn't invite people to simply believe things or even believe true things about him. He invited people to follow him and to wake up every morning with this question. What would I do if I was confident that God's with me? What would I do? Not what would I think or, or simply believe, but, but what would I do today? What, how would I respond? How would I interact with people? How would I react? What would I initiate or, or what would I avoid? What conversations would I begin? Who would I forgive? Who would I ask to forgive me? What would I do if I was absolutely confident that God, the God who was revealed in, in the teaching in the life of Jesus, if that God was with me? And as we said last time, the reason God wants to build our faith into big faith is because the greater the faith, the greater the relationship. And the stronger the relationship, the more intimacy you have with your Heavenly Father. And that's his heart's desire. So in the series, we're asking the question and, and hopefully answering the question, over the course of a lifetime, what fuels and, and facilitates the development of enduring faith? The kind of faith that works itself out in the real world. How do we develop that kind of long-range, in-the-moment, gritty, real-world faith? Faith that will sustain you from childhood all the way through adulthood. In other words, what are the ingredients that if we stir them together would kind of create that sort of faith, that, that go the distance in spite of faith? What are those ingredients? And the good news is that, that uh, based on the teachings of Jesus and the Gospels and based on literally hundreds and hundreds of conversations with go-the-distance, long-term Christians who have mature faith, we've identified five things specifically that God uses to grow up and to blow up our faith. And, and they're not a list of things to do, okay? They're more like dynamics. And some of them you have control over and some of them you don't. But they're five things that, like when you hear somebody tell their faith story, when you, when you talk to some, one of these mature, kind of go-the-distance Christians that's been through the valley and they, they've been to the mountaintop, they trust God when things are going up to the right, they trust God when things are going the other way. When you talk to them and you hear their stories, you hear these five things over and over and over and over again. And not because somebody taught them, you know, these five things. These are just five things that kind of bubble up over the course of a lifetime that God uses to grow their faith. And sometimes we refer to those as the five faith catalysts, five things that God consistently uses to grow our faith. And the great thing is that these intersect with our lives at every season of life. Okay, they intersect with our lives in childhood while you're in junior high or high school, college, if you're a newlywed, if you've been married a long time, someone facing a health challenge or somebody who's experienced great success. In every season of life, these five things interface with our lives in such a way as to help grow up and mature our faith. So for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at these five things. And today, we're looking at the very first one, practical teaching. Or to be more specific, practical biblical teaching and, and application of that teaching. 
Because whenever you hear a faith story, almost everyone describes the first time that they were introduced to practical teaching. Like uh, someone opened up the scriptures and, and taught from the scripture in such a way that they knew what to do with what they heard. It wasn't just information, but somebody actually gave them handles and, and applications. They, they always sort of kind of believed in God or believed in Jesus, but they didn't know what to do with that. They didn't know what that looked like in the real world. They didn't know how to take it home or take it to school or take it to work. But somebody opened up the scripture in such a way that they knew what to do with what they believed. And, and they say that is something that began to grow their faith. And maybe that's your story too. And the reason that real-world application of the teaching of Jesus grows our faith is because when our active faith, our active application-oriented faith intersects with God's faithfulness, our faith grows. You kind of feel that nudge from the Holy Spirit sometimes. It's like, hey, you need, you need to let go of that. Or you need to go talk to that person. Or you need to be more generous. You, you need to make things right with them. You need to confront them. You need to forgive them. Finally, finally you give in to that nudge and you have that challenging conversation and then on the other side of that, you're so glad you did and you see God's faithfulness and your faith grows. Whenever we step out in obedience or, or to say it another way, whenever we follow Jesus in some area where it's challenging or it costs us and we kind of resist it at first but we finally give in, uh, that's uh, when our, our faithfulness to God intersects with his faithfulness to us, our faith gets bigger. Because your faith's like a muscle. Okay? If, you, if you want your muscle to grow, you have to exercise it. And an exercise of faith is simply going like, God, I'm going to say yes to you even before I know how everything's going to turn out. I'm going to say yes even though nobody else would do it and people think I'm crazy. I'm going to say yes to you because I know it's the right thing to do. And I don't know what the outcome is, but I, I trust you, God. I trust you. And so on the other side of that decision, then, we experience the faithfulness of God and our faith gets bigger. But for many people, uh, that never begins to happen until they're exposed to application-oriented teaching, either in high school or college or, or perhaps as a young adult or an adult. And the problem, and, and this is kind of generally speaking, many churches, they seem to be content with simply covering the material. You know, and just make sure people know the stories in the Bible. And here's some stuff the, the Bible says, God bless and keep you. You know, I was, I was on a staff of a church like that for many years. And the pastor was a great teacher of Scripture. He was like a college-level teacher, but there was not always a lot of practical application. You kind of left going like, okay, well, I know a lot more, but what do you do with that? But when Jesus opened up the Old Testament and to teach, it was different. He, Jesus taught application, not simply knowledge. And the best example of that is found in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 7, if you want to follow along. And I kind of set the scene for you. Jesus has just fi- finished what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And it's called that because he was on a mountain. He was on a mountain. He was talking to people, you know, good acoustics. Everybody could kind of gather around. He's up. He's on the mountain. He's talking to people. And uh, uh, he's, he's, this message is about what to do, not just what to believe. What to do. There's some belief parts, but at the core of it, it's about what to do. And the reason that Jesus taught in a very applicable way was Jesus knew. Simply knowing things is not enough to make a difference. It's what you do that makes a difference. And so uh, the Sermon on the Mount is basically this. It's like, if you had big faith, this is, this is what you do. If you, if you had perfect faith, this is how you would act. So he would say things like, you know, somebody asks you to go one mile, you go two. Somebody really, really offends you, go ahead and forgive them. Oh, and by the way, lust is a sin. Not, not just adultery, lust also. What you do with your mind, what you do with your eyes, that's a sin. That was brand new in that culture. 
And when it comes to giving, he said, just give as much as you can. You know, and, he, and somebody in the back's probably like, well, can you give us a percentage, Jesus? And he's like, no, just give. He skips right over that. Just give whatever you can. You see somebody in need, give whatever you can. That's what it looks like to live as if you had absolute perfect faith that there is a God who knows your name and who's going to take care of you. So almost the whole message is about application, things to do and not to do, you know, how to handle situations or not handle them. And at the end of the sermon, Jesus concludes, and this is where we'll pick it up. Matthew 7, 24, he says this. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, everybody who sat through this sermon, everybody who hears these words of mine, he says, and believes them? Nope. Everyone who hears these words of mine and remembers them? Nope. Everybody who wrote them down? No. Nope. Uh, who agrees with them? No. Nope. Oh, I know what it is. Everybody who hears and, and feels convicted by them. Because that's as far as like most sermons tend to take us. Because we have this weird thing in the U.S. especially, where a lot of Christians, we kind of feel like, you know, if, if we feel convicted, you know, kind of beat up a little bit by the preacher, you know, like we've had an encounter with God. It's like, oh man, you know, they really brought it this morning. I feel so convicted. You know, God was really speaking. I, I feel guilty, you know, and I, I kind of feel uh, worse about myself because I know he's right and God's right and I need to be a better person. So see you next week so you can beat me up some more, you know. And, and we, we think like, oh, hey, feeling bad about ourselves is some sort of encounter with God. And your Heavenly Father's like, no, no, that's not an encounter with me. The, the encounter with me I want you to have is I want you to do this stuff and then experience me on the other side of it. That's the encounter I want you to have. So Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and, and puts them into practice, anyone who's, who's here, who, who hears and then does, and who acts on what I've just taught, they're like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, a wise person is a person who kind of uh, sees consequences, sees the, the future, and understands that there's a connection. A wise person is a person who just heard Jesus' message and actually puts it into practice. They, they, they build their house or they establish their future. They build their lives. Uh, they, they go all in. Jesus is like, the person who does what I just said, they are establishing their lives. They're building their house on a rock. And this is where it gets confusing for us because if you buy a piece of property nowadays and it's got a lot of rock on it, you're in trouble, right? It's got a big rock. You got to get some guy to come out with dynamite or something and blow it up, which would be cool, but not very, you know, not, not good for you. Um, we do foundations. Uh, we dig a deep hole and pour concrete and rebar and have footings to build our houses and stuff. Back then, they didn't do it that way. The best thing you could do is find something real solid, like a rock, and build your foundation on that rock. But the problem was, it was very labor-intensive, and it took a long time, and it was often more expensive. And so Jesus' point is simply, the wisest thing you can do is to build your life on the foundation of my teaching, and it's going to be harder initially. You're going to, it's going to be more time-consuming. And, and, and your neighbors are going to think you're crazy. But ultimately, in the long term, the person who listens to what I just said, as countercultural as it is and as challenging as it is, and, and it's decides, this is the way I'm going to live my life. This is how I'm going to manage my life and my relationships. He says that person is like a person who chose to do it the hard way, to build their life on a rock. And it'll cost you. It'll cost you, but it'll be more rewarding. And his unspoken question is like, like do you trust me? Will you follow me? Not, not, not will you believe in me or, or be, believe what I said. Do you and will you trust me to live the way that I've talked about, to live this way even before you know the outcome? That's the question. 
And it's only when we express our trust in the real world that our faith intersects with God's faithfulness and we experience God. And then Jesus illustrates the outcome or the future of the doers. These are the doers. He says this, The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And this is something they all understood because there were, there were flash floods in that part of the world and, and often, you know, like, uh, if you didn't have a good foundation, it was a total loss. So this could be the difference between life and death or, you know, surviving with something to show for it or nothing to show for it if you survived at all. And Jesus continues, he says, that, but everyone who hears these words of mine puts them in a notebook, you know, takes notes, feels guilty, nods and says amen, and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And now if you've tuned out, I need you to tune back in for just a second because this is, this is important. The implications for what he has said here are staggering and stunning for, for the average church person. Because here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying it is possible for you to attend some kind of gathering every week of your life or every other week. And it's possible for you to hear and it's possible for you to believe and yet live a life that undermines your faith. It's possible for you to hear and possible to believe and yet live your life in such a way that your practical life undermines what you've heard and what you believe. And that will actually set you up for a crisis of faith. Or to put it a different way, that believing can actually be deceiving. Believing can be deceiving. Now James, the brother of Jesus, comes along a few years later and he writes a letter and he talks about this very topic. And here's how James puts it. The same topic. James says this. He says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Believing can be deceiving. You think you, because you believe everything and you, you know everything you need to know and you've got perfect theology, but you don't do anything? James says you're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself. If you don't do anything, you're deceiving yourself. You're thinking something that's not true about yourself. And ultimately, it's going to come back on you. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. I mean, it's one thing to believe in nutrition, believe in the science of nutrition. Another thing to eat healthy. You can believe in nutrition. What good does it do you? Zero. I mean, you can feel better about reading the book and having gone to the seminar and doesn't do you a bit of good until you apply it. Same with exercise. Believing in exercise or reading about exercise, joining a gym, you know, walking through the gym with your gym bag, you know, like meeting the trainer. You can fill your, your bookshelves with books about exercise, all sorts of information. People come into your home, they're like, wow, you're an expert. And you're over there with your Twinkie going like, yeah, I'm an expert, you know. Like, you know, I, I, you want to know anything about exercise? You come to the right place, but it hasn't done me a bit of good personally because I've not done a thing with it. I've not applied this huge amount of knowledge that I've acquired. And faith is like a muscle. If you don't exercise it, it atrophies and it withers away. And the way we exercise our faith is not by believing things. We exercise our faith by stepping out and doing things and experiencing God's faithfulness. That's what grows our faith. And James and Jesus say, look, you want, you want Christianity to explode in the reality of your experience? You got to do things. If all you do is believe and never step out and practice what you believe, you are setting yourself up for a crisis of faith because you've got no strong foundation. You're not building strong faith, and one day you're going to need it and it's not going to be there. It's like sowing and reaping. You can't rush a crop, it's either ready or it's not. And Jesus says, I want you to be ready. So follow me, follow me, follow me, not just in your head, 
I want you to follow me in the real world. I want you to trust me, trust my heavenly Father so that your acts of faith will intersect with his faithfulness and you'll know your Father in heaven. Because the only other option is the other character in Jesus' story. He says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, like they're there every Sunday, they just don't do anything with it. They feel convicted, you know, and they, they wrote it down and maybe even memorized some of it. And they agreed with it, but they don't do anything with it. They're like the foolish person who built their house on the sand. It was quick and it was easy and they listened. They might have even, you know, like believed some of it, but they didn't do anything with it because it was just too hard or is it too complicated, it interfered too much. So what happens, the rain comes down, streams rose, winds blew, beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Do you know what people who, who listen and believe but don't do respond when the great crash comes? They often either, either blame God or they decide, well, there is no God because their faith is feeble and fragile and weak. And because although they believed, they had not exercised their faith muscle to be prepared for the inevitable storms of life. When our obedience intersects with God's faithfulness, our faith gets bigger. So this is an invitation to grow our faith by living it out everywhere we go. And in living it out, our faith gets stronger. Your Heavenly Father's going like, come on, trust me. Trust me. I want you to step out and do what you know you need to do so that you can experience my faithfulness. I like what Pastor uh, Lane, Lane Jones said in a message uh, a number of years ago, he was preaching, he said this. He said, unapplied truth is like unapplied paint. It doesn't do anybody any good. How many of you guys have some un unapplied paint? You got paint sitting in a can somewhere in your basement or your closet or, you know, like, yeah, your attic somewhere or something. Like, you got, you got paint sitting around. We're going to use it one day, right? It doesn't do us any good. He said, the value in the paint is in the application. And Jesus agreed. Application is what it's all about. And so, God uses application-oriented teaching to grow us up and mature us and blow up our faith. Teaching that gives us handles and challenges us not to simply sit and listen, not to simply experience something. And it's not about being better people. It's about growing, enduring faith. And following Jesus is going to stretch your faith. And it's going to exercise your faith. And it's going to cause your faith to grow. And the world needs people with big faith. Your world, your family, your, your school, your workplace, your community needs people like that. So let's not be content to simply believe correctly. Let's not be content to simply believe true things. Let's act on what we believe. And then in those moments when we feel that prompting, do it. Apologize. Forgive. Ask for forgiveness. Talk to them. Confront them. Whatever it is. Humble yourself. Show up. Just say yes. Because it's on the other side of that application that our obedience will intersect with the faithfulness of our Heavenly Father. And we'll experience God and our faith will get bigger. In other words, let's follow Jesus. And then we'll pick it up there next time in part three. I'm going to ask you to stand as we close with this song. And I want to invite you to use this song as a prayer of response to God this morning. Just say to God, I'll follow you wherever you lead. I'll go wherever you go. I'll stay wherever you tell me to stay. I'll love as you love and I'll say yes, even, even though I don't know the outcome. I'm going to do more than just believe. I'm going to follow you.